Hello and welcome to another installment of the Checkdown Charlie's podcast. My name is Eric. As always, I'm here with Theo. What have you got for us today, Theo? So, last time we left you guys, we had talked about Bill Parcells and his retirement from the New York Giants following the 1990-1991 season and how he eventually, you know, went into broadcasting and then head coaching with various other teams in the NFL. We wanted to focus this episode on what happened to the Giants organization following his retirement Mm -hmm. and all the consecutive moves that eventually led to more successes in the 2000. Just going back into that 1990-1991 season in which they won the Super Bowl, just uh, examining it, they, they were actually pretty stacked and, you know, they could have definitely repeated the following year mm-hmm. had uh, Bill Parcells not decided to retire. I don't know if you uh, looked at the coaching staff Rizzoli, but it was pretty stacked. So you had as defensive coordinator, Bill Belichick. Mm-hmm. The defensive line coach was Romeo Cornell. Tom Coughlin was actually the wide receiver coach, eventual Super Bowl winning coach for the New York Giants in the 2000s. Exactly. One of the assistants for the special teams was Charlie Weiss. Charlie Weiss. I see Al Groh here. Al Groh, I think, was the coach of the Jets for one season as well. Ron Earhart was the offensive coordinator Mm -hmm. and, you know, part of the foundation of the Patriots offense is Ron Earhart's schemes. Yeah. Uh, him and Ray Perkins, you know, the Patriots are, you know, known to be using a Erhart Perkins scheme. So yeah, Cornell and Charlie Weiss, they both were coordinators for Bill Belichick for the early 2000s in New England. They ended up winning three Super Bowls, but more on uh, Bill Belichick himself. So prior to taking the New England Patriots job and having all the success he's had, he was known for, you know, being the right hand man for Bill Parcells. He was his friend, his mentor and basically a competitor in ensuing years, you know, they were always quoted as being best frenemies. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons Bill Belichick ended up in the Giants organization was because of Bill Parcells. So prior to the 1979 season, Bill Belichick actually had coached a year in Denver and was not enjoying it. So he was coaching for the Broncos in like some assistant capacity. Mm -hmm. And he had a relationship with Parcells, who Parcells knew his uh, father, and Parcells was actually a head coach at the time at Air Force, which is also in, in Colorado. Right. So Belichick asks him for a job. Parcells actually appears to be hesitant to hire him, even though they're family friends. So Belichick thinks he's getting blown off. Belichick then eventually interviews for a position with the New York Giants and then also realizes at that same time that Parcells is trying to get the defensive coordinator position. So One of the reasons Parcells was hesitant to hire him at Air Force was because he was applying to become the DC in New York. And that year, as we know, as we had talked about, Parcells becomes the DC Mm -hmm. and Belichick becomes the special teams coach and he becomes a defensive assistant under Parcells. Right. The head coach at the time, as we had mentioned, was Ray Perkins in previous episodes. So Belichick actually learns the fundamentals of the three or defense under Parcells. Throughout his time in New York, Belichick definitely had his growing pains. Initially, Lawrence Taylor and Harry Carson didn't respect him. He wasn't a former player like them. You know, he wasn't a part of the fabled boys club because he wasn't a player. You know, right. he was just some fresh-faced kid that loved football and wanted to get into coaching like his father. 
Mm-hmm. So actually to pull a quote from Giants defensive lineman George Martin when talking about Belichick, when a coach tells us to turn the lights on and nobody moves, that's disrespectful. When he tells you to go to the weight room and do this and you do it at a snail's pace or ignore him or laugh at him, that's disrespectful. He'd come over to the sideline and we were lounging around and he'd say, get the hell up and get out of here. And we didn't move. We neutered him and totally disrespected him, you know, saying that that was basically a price of admission for Belichick entering the Giants organization. Yeah, you kind of had to earn your stripes in terms of being a coach and, as you mentioned, earn the players' respect. And that's kind of like, you don't really hear about that dynamic so much in today's NFL, although I'm sure it still happens in some circles. He did eventually earn his stripes, as we had talked about, Mm -hmm. you know, that winning Super Bowls and stuff. But by 1981, 1982, you know, Belichick, most of the Giants defenses were designed by him. And Lawrence Taylor would constantly say that there was not a game that they came into where they were not totally mentally prepared. You know, that side was always taken care of by Bill Belichick. Fast forwarding, the reason why I mentioned this, this background with Belichick was that by 1990, by that season in which they won the Super Bowl. Yeah. He was the hottest coaching commodity, you know, you know how that comes around often, especially after Black Monday, when all the coaches are fired at the end of the season, we always talk about hot coaching commodities. So, you know, like to give an example, this season, it's fair to say that in the 2020 season, offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy for the Kansas City Chiefs yeah. is the hot coaching prospect, you know, mm-hmm. you know. Like we're even so much to say that he's being rumored to, or like people are placing him right now in the Houston Texans position. Or the Falcons. Or the Falcons, because he's such a, you know, he's he's had quite some success with Patrick Mahomes and that offense. And you know? Andy Reid, yeah. You know, they, he's already won a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Like the enemy, Belichick was, you know, the dude in 1990 mm-hmm. and there were rumors starting to circulate with him winding up as the head coach of the Cleveland Browns before this he wasn't really talked about as a potential head coach but that didn't stop Parcells from preparing him Belichick admits that Parcells always would take him aside and talk to him about different situations that Parcells himself would encounter as a head coach and it was sort of a teaching tool for him at the time. Going back to the 1990 season, Belichick was just on fire in terms of calling the defenses. They credit him with their success in the playoffs, great at making adjustments. So during the playoff season, they first faced off against the Chicago Bears. Just to show how great he was at making adjustments, the Giants were known for playing a 3-4 defense. Mm-hmm. And this was the first time, and this is a playoff game, they used a four-man front. Right. You know, he changed the script even though they did not use it throughout the entire season mm-hmm. and they ended up beating Chicago Bears the following playoff game they played against the 49ers and the 49ers are known for their ferocious passing attack and he played almost all nickel for his defense mm-hmm. and then eventually when they played the Buffalo Bills and we had talked about this he played two versions of dime and he focused on adding speed to the defense and just being really physical with the wide receivers and that led them to, you know, playing it very close against the really talented Buffalo Bills team and yeah. them eventually winning the Super Bowl. You know, he's credited with coming up with a yeah. really good 
game plan. The game plan is actually in the Giants Hall of Fame. And I remember you mentioned a quote from Parcells saying that it actually should have been the offensive coordinator, Earhart's game plan that should be in there. But yeah, I mean, all of those factors, it makes sense why Belichick would be kind of the hot coaching commodity. And it always ends up happening where like the staff of you know, let's say Super Bowl winners or even Super Bowl finalists end up getting poached or springboarding their careers into head coaching positions. So it makes sense that Belichick would kind of be the next man up in that sense and the rumors of him going to Cleveland. Like he was well prepared before this playoff run, mm-hmm. but it was sort of like the the cherry on top. Yeah. You know, he was great at making adjustments and throughout the playoffs he did that and they were successful. At the time, Parcells didn't realize he had a health condition and doctors noticed that he had a blocked vessel that controlled 60% of his blood flow. Had Bill Parcells had a heart attack, the doctors told him there was a 50-50 chance of survival with poor quality of life as a result had he survived the heart attack. Right. So this plays out around the playoff picture in 1990-1991, but Parcells doesn't mention this to anybody, right? know that's in the back of his head and he's sort of playing out the scenarios if he decides to coach the following year this leads to him eventually leaving in may following that super bowl winning 1990 season mm-hmm. and at the time of the super bowl none of this is mentioned and bill belichick had no idea so bill belichick ends up taking the job in cleveland and it's fair to say that being with the organization for about 12 years 12 some odd years he probably wanted to succeed parcells as head coach of the new york giants right you know and the interesting statistic parcells is 55 and 57 in the regular season and 0 and 3 in the playoffs without bill belichick Hmm. so much of the giant success is you know attached to bill belichick's name yeah that's i think that's certainly fair to say i mean clearly you know, he picked up whatever he was going to pick up from Parcells fairly quickly, and he was able to, you know, be adaptable on, on defense, as you'd mentioned. And, like, one of the hallmarks of the Patriots' defensive scheme is their ability to play a three-man front or a four-man front or basically make the individual adjustments probably better than any other team that I can think of. So it makes sense, you know, that... And from an organizational standpoint, it makes sense that Belichick would want to succeed Parcells. And and can you even... Can you imagine, you know, what the Giants' history would look like if if Bill Belichick had become the the head coach as opposed to... uh, Well, as opposed to Ray Hanley, who you're going to mention next, I guess. Yeah, so, so it's funny because, you know, all these things happen and had Parcells mentioned something earlier, you know, gave Belichick the inside track, you know, because it was clear that Belichick was the most well-equipped to to lead the organization following Parcells. Nothing was mentioned to him and he eventually just leaves and goes to Cleveland. Interestingly enough, general manager George Young did not think highly of Belichick, and he eventually hired the running back coach Ray Handley. Yeah. Even if Belichick was aware, the likelihood of him getting that job was pretty slim, because George Young felt that uh, Ray Handley's intellect was superior for some reason. You know, Chris Mara, Giants owner, recounts Young saying that Belichick will never become the Giants head coach, and he talks about him as an ex-lacrosse player and how he's basically criticizing his appearance. He's saying he looks like a disheveled mess most of the time. Which is 
probably true, to be honest, but it's just funny how you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, which obviously, you know, Young did in that, in this instance. Yeah. And, you know, Young was big on appearances. You know, he loved the like clean cut look of Ray Perkins they had hired in the late seventies, you know? Sure. And just to pull out another quote from a book, they talk about Young. It's like Young grew up in Baltimore's 10th ward and felt that lacrosse was a suburban sport for kids who could afford a stick. He also thought Belichick would struggle with the media. So like he had painted this picture of Bill Belichick in his head where Bill Belichick was this like, you know, privileged kid who just like sort of looked like a mess all the time. Yeah. And he wasn't the poster boy that George Young wanted. So, you know, he had already made up his mind. So it wasn't like had Belichick found out the news earlier, it would have made a difference. Mm -hmm. Even when George Young retired from the Giants and ended up in the league office, he actually told Robert Kraft not to hire Bill Belichick before the 2000 season. I mean, hindsight is always twenty twenty. but can you imagine again if Robert Kraft had chosen to take his advice, you mm -hmm. know, how different the entire landscape of the NFL would look at this point? Yeah. It's weird to think about it that way. Just going back to that 1990-1991 season, that offseason, Parcells was eventually replaced by Ray Handley. Mm -hmm. But the Giants, on the business side, was all part of the share in the organization was sold to the to Bob Tisch from Tim Mara. This marked the first time where the team was not fully in control by the Mara family since its inception in 1925. Just to reiterate what's happened in the offseason, you know, Belichick goes to Cleveland, Parcells ends up retiring, you know, and eventually goes into broadcasting, like we had mentioned. Mm -hmm. And Ray Handley becomes the head coach of the New York Giants. He was the running back coach and eventually promoted to an offensive position, but was actually thinking about, before getting this head coaching position, was actually thinking about, at one point in time, leaving the Giants organization to go into law school. So he wasn't initially fully committed to the organization. He only lasted two seasons in 1991 with a record of eight and eight, and in 1992 with a record of six and 10. One of the issues with his failed regime was that in 1992, he brings in Rod Rust as a defensive coordinator. So Rod Rust was the former coach of the New England Patriots in 1990, in which he went one and 15. Great now, start. And one of the reasons he brings him in, and this is this happens a lot in the NFL, you bring in a head, a former head coach to man one side of the defense, <laughs> like Jason Garrett right now. A little bit different because Joe Judge is he's a special teams coordinator. He was a former special teams coordinator, right. so he he's those guys tend to focus on the the bigger picture constantly. Mm -hmm. But Ray Handley was, you know, he specialized in the offense. Yeah. So he focused primarily on the offense. That led to a strained relationship with the defense. So he brings in Rod Rust, who has experience as a head coach, so he can man that side of the team. By September in 1992, the relationship between the coaching staff and the defense is already lost. The defense starts ignoring calls, and then they start freelancing, particularly against the Dallas Cowboys. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine regardless of the record, where the organization is at that point, you know? Yeah. Compared to Bill Parcells, that's like, you know, night and day. And it's also like, if the defense, I mean, you mentioned the quote earlier from George Martin. Can you imagine they had such a hard time respecting Bill Belichick, who ended up being arguably the greatest coach of all time, 
Now imagine they get somebody in there who doesn't necessarily have the same coaching acumen as Bill Belichick. Like, it doesn't surprise me at all that they would start, you know, freelancing calls. And like, obviously, organizationally, that's not something that you want to have, you know, moving forward. Handley is actually fired on December 30th of the 1992 season. Mm -hmm. His other failing was that he never really settled the QB controversy between Hostetler and Phil Simms. Right. So, you know, Hostetler wins the 1990-1991 Super Bowl. Ray Handley has two years and never really solves the problem of, like, who's going to start, who's going to anchor the offense. Right. So after he leaves, the Giants look to Dan Reeves as his replacement. Dan Reeves, just to give a background, he was a former Cowboys player and he was a running back in the 60s and 70s. Mm -hmm. He eventually worked his way up to offensive coordinator for the Cowboys under Tom Landry. He was a coordinator for the New York Giants before the creation of the Dallas Cowboys. Exactly, yeah. Dan Reeves eventually becomes the head coach, and this is where he's most famous in NFL history for becoming the head coach of the Denver Broncos for pretty much the entirety of the 1980s. He coached uh, John Elway and brought them to the Super Bowl three times, but never really made it over the hump, which, you know, to a certain extent, you take into account all the teams, the high-flying teams in the 1980s. You know, you have the 49ers, you know, Mm -hmm. Marino and the Dolphins. And like, Marino only makes the Super Bowl one time. He loses as well. But like Dan Reeves is able to bring John Elway to the Super Bowl three times. Yeah, exactly. He's no slouch. And obviously, you know, I can see here that he was fired in 1992. And then immediately in 93, they bring him in. So it's not like he had to wait very long, you know, to become a head coach. So obviously you bring somebody in with experience. And obviously, you know, Reeves and Elway had, I guess, had their own sort of mini controversy in terms of, you know, maybe the owner was taking Elway's side over Reeves. By no means is he like a slouch. Like, obviously, you bring in somebody who's proven to be a success in the NFL. Hopefully, yeah. you're you're hoping to get the most out of out of your core from the 80s, who's like aging by this point, I suppose. Just a little note, side note, that in 1979, when uh, George Young was hiring candidates for the Giants head coach position, mm-hmm. he ended up picking Ray Perkins. He toyed with the idea of giving Dan Reeves the head coaching job for the New York Giants, who at the time was the offensive coordinator for the Cowboys. Right. And I have a quote for him in which he says that at the time, I thought I needed a guy here who would make the players uncomfortable when they lost. I thought I needed a foxhole guy. I was a little nervous about the fact that Dan had been with the Cowboys where they had always been successful, that it would be a little traumatic for him here. I went with somebody who had been at other places. The decision was based on that and not who was the best head coach. So admittedly, George Young says that in 1979, Dan Reeves wasn't necessarily a worse coach than Ray Perkins. He was just not sure about how he would adapt to the organization. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason why he picked Ray Perkins instead. It's funny, like 12 odd, some odd years later, you know, he becomes the head coach for the New York Giants, but he could have easily been the head coach of the New York Giants in 1979. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, there's so many hypotheticals that could have gone one way or another, but it is interesting, yeah. and, and they, the Giants seem to enjoy people that are kind of in the orbit of the organization. You know, like they bring back Coughlin after years, and, and Reeves comes back after being considered for the position. You know, like... These names are played with over time. They're not just exactly. don't come up at, like out of thin air, right? Exactly. Just interestingly enough, before they hired Reeves, during the search to replace Handley, George Young 
first actually went after Tom Coughlin. He had left the Giants organization after the 1990-1991 season and ended up going to Boston College and being the head coach there and with some success. So there was that connection with, with Coughlin at the time. Young also pursued Cowboys defensive coordinator Dave Wanstead, who eventually left the Cowboys and went to the Chicago Bears. So Reeves was actually the third choice, but it wasn't like a poor third choice, you know, if things fell that way. You know, and like you had mentioned, there was a bit of controversy as he was leaving the Denver Broncos organization. You know, there was a public feud between him, John Elway, and Pat Bolin. When you have a star quarterback in an organization, sometimes the owner decides to side with the quarterback over the head coach. Right. You know, and just things fall that way at times, right? In 1993, he becomes, like we said, the head coach of the Giants. And they immediately go from 6-10 and 10 to 11-5. and five. This is actually the best record for the first year of a Giants head coach. And they also make the playoffs, you know? Right. There's, the team is winning. They're trending upwards. Mm-hmm. A notable side note, in 1993, the Giants end up drafting Michael Strahan, who we will talk about in great detail. Definitely. In the second round out of Texas Southern. That year is actually a pretty pivotal year for the the Giants organization, right, Rizzoli? I know, like, he makes the decision to release Hostetler. You know, he gives the position back to Phil Simms. They end up beating Minnesota in the playoffs. But in the 1990s, they had to contend with the Cowboys dynasty that was emerging. And they were also beaten by a pretty well-equipped 49ers team, 44-3. Exactly. So at this point, 1993 was kind of a transition, transitional time for the organization in terms of the old guard moving on. Most notably, I think, was the retirement of Phil Simms. So despite you know starting every game that season, he would undergo surgery for a torn labrum in the offseason. And despite you know being told that he might be able to play, he decided to call it a career. Also, 1993 would signal the retirement of Lawrence Taylor, who decided against playing after a devastating injury. He suffered a ruptured Achilles tendon in 1992. Lawrence Taylor retired as the Giants' all-time leader in sacks after having missed only four games in the previous 12 seasons. As for Sims, he decided to try his hand at becoming a broadcaster. I'm sure, you know, if anybody watches any of the CBS broadcasts before Tony Romo, Phil Sims was the color commentator with Jim Nance. But he started at ESPN, he went to NBC, did a couple of Super Bowls, He did the 1996 Summer Olympics, NBA on NBC. He hosts Inside the NFL and on Showtime with James Brown and Chris Collingsworth. He's made appearances on The Price is Right and How I Met Your Mother. (laughs) And he's also the commentator for the Madden uh, video game franchise. So he's the commentator with Jim Nance for Madden 13, 25, 15, and 16. So yeah. Phil Simms has really forged a successful career for himself in that in that space, and I commend him yeah. for it. I'm very well aware of, of Phil Simms, not because of his playing career, but because of the work he's done afterwards. Exactly. All right, so moving on to the rest of Dan Reeves' tenure. So as we had said, like 1993, both legends retire, Lawrence Taylor and Phil Simms. Mm-hmm. They go 11-5. But that's pretty much the high point of Dan Reeves' stint with the New York Giants. Before hiring Dan Reeves, actually, there was an initial concern that he wouldn't be a good match with general manager George Young. So after this 1993 season, their successful relationship started to soon deteriorate. Hmm. So going into 1994, they do not make the playoffs. 
they go nine and seven, which is still a winning record. But Reeves starts to complain that the Giants did not actively pursue free agents. And then he later finds out that general manager George Young had been working with a Nebraska defensive lineman, Christian Peter, for six months, or no, eight months, sorry, mm-hmm. with the intention of signing him. So this was done without Reeves's knowledge. So this is sort of like a point of contention between right. a lot of general managers and head coaches, you know, who gets say over what, mm-hmm. you know, and they don't end up solving this sort of hostility because eventually Dan Reeves does a couple of things to get back at him. So quarterback Danny Brown was sort of in the middle of this. That was George Young's guy. And he is eventually benched in place for quarterback Tommy Maddox, who Reeves ends up drafting in the first round in Denver and brings over to the New York Giants. And he also benches Brown at one point for a rookie, uh, Danny Donnell. This didn't go over pretty well. And Reeves was also, aside from toying with the personnel on game day, he was really vocal with the media and did not take the high road. He essentially wanted more control over the college drafts and did not get that. After 94, he stays on for two more two more seasons, mm-hmm. record of 5-11, and then eventually a record of 6-10. and 10. You know, tries to make drastic changes to the defense in his final year, but never really does much. Right. And he is eventually let go. So first year looked as if the organization was trending in the right direction. You know, then at the end of the season, as we had said, there's these drastic changes, and then it just doesn't end up working well the head coach and the general manager. Right, exactly. And, you know, it is difficult to try to recreate the success of the 80s and 90s that the Giants had. So obviously, this is a transitional period, as I had mentioned, for the the organization. The fact that it didn't work out with Reeves, again, it comes back to the whole relationship between coach and GM and who should be in charge of what. And there's not really very much synergy between them. So As of now, I think we've made it halfway through the 90s. The Giants are kind of searching for the next uh, next guy to take charge and and see what we can do with the organization. Exactly. Like, these two head coaching hires are not really talked about in Giants history. They don't really move the needle. They, in a way, it's really hard to to replace someone like Bill Parcells. And it happens in a lot of organizations, though. Like, when, when a legend retires or moves on from the organization, it's really hard for for a team to find its footing. And like, it's difficult even when you talk about coaches for most organizations. I mean, there's only one team that can win every year. The other 31 teams are considered to be losers and they shift around their personnel all the time. So you're right in that it doesn't really, doesn't necessarily move the needle as such. I do think that Dan Reeves, he ended up going to the Atlanta Falcons and I'm pretty yeah. sure he lost to John Elway in the Super Bowl, ironically. So eventually Dan Reeves moves to Atlanta after the 96 season, mm-hmm. 1997. And they do end up, yeah, they lose in the Super Bowl to John Elway, which is ironic enough. Yeah. And you know? that was when the Dirty Bird started becoming a thing. You know, that we'll save that for the Falcons podcast. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think this is a good time for us to, to cut it off for now. I mean, we've reached the end of the 96 season and we'll see where the organization goes from there. So thanks again for, for listening, everybody. Let us know what you think on Twitter. And uh, thanks again for listening to Checkdown Charlie's. Yeah, we'll see you soon. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Checkdown Charlie's podcast. 
Check us out on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and Podbean. Don't forget to follow us at CheckDCharlies on Twitter and at CheckDownCharlies on Instagram. Like, comment, and subscribe on all platforms, and don't forget to leave us a review. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.